This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Let's make a baby! Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So here we are, watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season seven, episode ten of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Mary Fisticuffs. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Bring on the Night. A lot of people getting beat up in these episodes. Yes. And it's Christmas. Yeah. People are eating trash cereal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so many connections. I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, me too. I also wish we could talk about Mrs. Maisel. I mean, we can talk about it. Maybe we shouldn't spoil it, but we can tell them we're watching it. It just came out. When this podcast comes out, more episodes will be out. But we watched the first three, and I'm into it. I'm into it hard. This show's very funny. Yeah, we love it. It's... Like, almost in some ways better than Gilmore. I think it might just be the budget, but it's over the top more so than Gilmore. Like, sometimes the conversations in Gilmore are silly and the townspeople are very silly, but they'll just be like long strings of conversation with the Maisel family that are just like a beautiful dance. Yes. Everyone's got like a stupid thing they're worried about or doing and they just, the conversations are so well written. Unrealistically so, but like... Right, right, right. Like, it so would never funny. be like this, but it is just so funny. It, I think you said it perfectly. It's like a dance, and, and not just a verbal dance, but like a physical dance. Like, the way that characters interact with each other in sets, I was like, oh, this this is just kind of funny, the way you guys are moving around. And it's just beautiful. Beautiful people in colorful clothes, just rich and having a good time in New York. Yeah, and like barely raising children. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I don't think this is too big of a spoiler. I think this season is kind of diving into that for once, though. Yeah, I agree with you, but... That's a pretty pretty early reveal. Amy's like, you know, every single person has noticed this. I guess I should address it. <laughs> It'd be funny if Amy could do like a Buffy revival. Ooh. Because I feel yeah. like she could write it pretty funny. Yeah. Maybe that'll be our next project. Rory the Vampire. To convince story. her or we're doing. <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe that is what she is planning for her next project. I've heard she's maybe going to work on something else soon. I could would we just email so. her and be like, listen... You know you want to do it. Yeah, I'll try. In other news, Kurt's really obsessed with birds right now. Yeah, it's been warm. It's like the first real warm week of this year. So we had some windows open and Kurt is just like riveted at the window right now looking at birds. We think there's a nest like right outside the window and he's he's monitoring that nest. There's not a lot he can do about it except lunge at the window occasionally. But I feel bad. I'm like, oh man, I wish I could bring you a bird to kill. I don't love that, but like I, it's what you want. Well, you don't always get what you want. Yeah. I mean, I would love to kill a bird, but I, you know, I don't always get what I want. I don't want to kill a bird. I think birds are fucking awesome. That's just like a little fact about me. I, especially big birds, I think they're cool. Brian's very Chris from Charmed, if you know what I'm saying. At least I'm not Leo from Charmed. That's all I'm worried about. If you skip Charmed, that's fine. (laughs) Do we have any five-star reviews? We do. We got a review on Facebook, so shout out to... Lori Easthagen, thank you so much. Thank you. You can't technically leave a five-star review on Spotify, as we've said, but there recently is a way 
that they've kind of made it so that you can like leave a comment on an episode. Like each episode on Spotify will say like, what did you think of this episode? So shout out to Yara who left us a little review on one of our episodes. Thank you. Yara says that our podcast is the reason they believe in soulmates. That is so awesome. I believe in soulmates too. And just someday we're going to find them. Yeah. You keep an eye out for mine. I'll keep an okay. eye out for yours. Yara also says to tell you that your rants are funny and you shouldn't apologize for them. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. See, this is why you're not my soulmate, okay? I can't <laughs> handle this kind of ridicule on the podcast. Stacy is my soulmate. I'm kidding. No one should get a type of hole over that. A type of hole? A, t- a tight butthole. Is that better that I explained it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what you said before. People being like, oh, are they fighting? My butthole's getting tight. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I just, I feel like I, I'm not, I haven't explained myself very well. You, you'd like, you, when you get uncomfortable, your butthole clinches. Mine or just people in general? Just yours. The cute little <laughs> idiosyncratic thing you do. My butthole's cute. You could hear it when Stacey does it. Boop. Anyway, we got some regular old Apple podcast reviews too. Thank you so much to Shugs84. Thank you to Celeste Best. Celeste has been one of our listeners from like the very beginning. She mm-hmm. somehow found us like. Within the first couple episodes, I'm pretty sure. There were like 20 of you back then, and we're so grateful you're still with us. Thank you so much, Celeste. Yeah. Thank you so much, Celeste. But you know what's insane to me is that we have people like Celeste who have been around the whole time. That's awesome. Uh Then we have people, and this is not that uncommon. It's kind of weird. People will send us an email like, oh, my God, I just discovered you guys. You guys are great. I binged all of your episodes in the last month. And I'm like, what? How How? did you have the time? (laughs) Like, maybe you're skipping Charmed. Maybe you're skipping Buffy or Gilmore because you're only into the other half. But still a ton of episodes. I mean, let me just be clear. Thank you. I'm so glad you're enjoying the podcast. There's nothing wrong with what you did. I'm just like, wow. I think some people have jobs where they can listen or, like, they commute a lot. Like, I don't sure, know that yeah. Celeste will mind me outing her, but she's, like, a, a vegan. Serial murderer. No. Oh. <laughs> she's got, she drives a lot to wherever she's got to go. No, she's a vegan baker. So I think she's baking a lot. And has, that makes sense. Has her ears free. Mm-hmm. I've had jobs where I could listen to podcasts, but you can't really do that like waiting tables or editing podcasts. Right. Anyway, I, I thank you guys so much for all of you that have powered through as well. I'm impressed and thank you. And we've got one more from Australia. Thank you so much to Llama LHM. Llama says, I hope you know you're worth the trouble of someone who's never used an Apple device or program in all her life going through all the trouble of making an iTunes account just to leave a review. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Llama. That's all we're asking people. Yeah. Just figure out Apple products. (laughs) Yeah, just give in. Replace your phone every couple of years. The chargers won't always work with the new devices. Although that's going to change. Oh, yeah? Yeah, didn't they just pass a law in the EU that, like, all the chargers have to be standardized so Apple can't just be like, and eh, it's a new charger? Yeah. I mean, they haven't done that for a while, but that, that would make sense. Yeah. Point being, thank you. That's very kind of you to make an Apple account. Okay. Should we get into stuff? Let us get right into stuff. Should we get into Cuff? That's not a good transition. We, we started with Gilmore Girls this week. Brian, tell us all about Mary Fisticuffs. I just want to say that my lovely partner, Stacey Kulo, is very talented when it comes to puns. So it's quite a disappointment what she just did. Uh, so I, <laughs> Hashtag soulmate. <laughs> let's talk about Mary Fisticuffs. So this episode's about how boys suck. Pretty much. That's it. So let's get started. Are you offended? No, I'm not offended. Lorelai makes it clear that it's sometimes boys suck. Or is it the girls that suck? Yeah, maybe. 
Well, I think this episode would indicate it's some boys do some sucking. We gotta just wow, these sentences are real. I really gotta put them right into the context. <laughs> Please don't isolate these and make them the teaser. I just want to say my partner, my lovely partner Brian Morris, is great at sentences, but <laughs> what he just did was unacceptable. Christopher wants the whole package, and he wants to start the whole package now. Previously, he said he was going to move into Stars Hollow, like compromising with Lorelai and with the writers, essentially, like, we'll keep the show in Stars Hollow. Yeah. But this episode starts with Christopher trying to convince Lorelai to buy and move into a new house with him. And the two of them are at an open house looking at this house. We don't know that, though. It just starts with them, like, role-playing house, like, you know, like the children's game. Whether it's like talking about going to work, Lorelai's talking about making him food, which immediately you're like, this can't be real. You don't cook. And they're just like doing this. And it turns out they're doing it all in front of some poor realtor who's showing them the place. For a second, I thought they were in a commercial because they're clearly like acting. Yeah. And they're just hamming it up so much. And even when the woman like steps into the shot, I'm like, oh, okay, she's the director. She's going to say cut. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out why they're in a commercial right now. But it's not a commercial. It's just them being obnoxious human beings. He's cute. It's kind of cute, except for the poor realtor that's like, okay, cool. Do your bullshit. Let's she does kind of give them shade at some point. Yeah. She was like, make yourself at home, though. That won't be a problem for you or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I've been here for 20 minutes. You guys have acted out three fights. <laughs> Lorelai, though, really, really does seem to like this place a lot. And she seems willing and excited to move into it with Christopher. But Christopher can tell that she doesn't actually want that. And he's like, you just want to stay living in your house in Stars Hollow and you don't want to move out here. And she's like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, that's fine. And it's nice, right? Christopher making sacrifices for Lorelai. I'm just saying that, girl, give him whatever kind of flat screens he needs, okay? He's moving into a house he doesn't have to live in. Let him have his flat screens. I don't know why, but that bothers me so much. So she's like, you can't have flat screens. It's like, he doesn't even want to live here. Let him have his flat screens. I don't know why this happened. Like, they set up that he agrees to live in Stars Hollow without much protest. Right. I mean, maybe because of recent events where, like, Stars Hollow doesn't love him. It could be. It does seem like a 180 from what they set up. But I could see that he's maybe just be like, but we could move into a better house. Yeah. And they, like, agreed to trundle. <laughs> yeah, and they did set up the whole bedroom for Gigi and stuff. But also Christopher probably just has nothing to do during the day and has money. So he's just looking around. Seems like he goes to work. He, yeah, I guess. I don't really know what the hell he does. Well, I don't know why he would go to work still, but whatever. Yeah. Oh, Richard does. I think he, he does something to. with software. I don't know that Richard doesn't need to. I think Christopher's got more money than the Gilmores do. I agree with you, but, I mean, Richard retired and he was done. I mean, when Richard was a working man, he needed to work. He wasn't, like, wealthy enough okay, that he could just retire at, like, 40. I see, yeah. To keep up their lifestyle, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Now, previously, if you guys remember, Emily has convinced Lorelai to let her, Emily, throw a party to celebrate Lorelai and Christopher's wedding, since they didn't get to be a part of their wedding in France. And now Lorelai is very, very, very reluctantly helping Emily plan it. Emily is so proud and so excited to tell Lorelai that she got Randall Farber, a like stuck up, name dropping, sycophant, like fancy boy, who's like a big wedding or party planner. He's a lot like Miss Celine, if you guys remember her like personal wardrobe assistant, Taylor. I hated this guy. Yeah, I hate him too. He's got a weird face. Sorry, he does. He's got a weird face. He's also just like, yeah, it's just like name droppy all the time. I bet he wears gloves to eat. He just seems like a weirdo. He's got like one pint of blood in his body. <laughs> it's the same bit as Miss Celine. Yeah. Like he's got this like fake British accent, acting all proper and just like name dropping people he's worked with. 
Yeah. Lorelai's over it. Emily loves it. It's the same joke. This dude loves the smell of his own farts. <laughs> I just, I didn't find him funny or charming or anything. I totally agree. And actually, I, this whole sequence of events is a little eye-rolly because Emily's so excited. This guy's excited. But Lorelai is just dragging her feet the whole time they're doing this party planning. She hates everything. She's making jokes constantly. She's being sarcastic and rude the entire time. She's criticizing everything that's happening throughout this entire process. And I'm kind of just like, Emily, why even invite Lorelai? She hates this. She doesn't want to be a part of this. And for Lorelai, I'm like, you're making this so horrible for everybody. Can you just be there and like roll your eyes and like not make a comment that hurts everyone's feelings the entire time you're here? Well, Rory makes a good point later that like Lorelai should be involved with the planning if she wants the party to be good. Like she can't complain about it later when it's like all Emily's choices. Right. And I feel like there is some blame to put on Emily where she's like, do all these things. And Lorelai's like, I didn't even want to have this party. You're making me do a lot of mental work. You're giving me a mental burden of having to make all these choices when I don't actually care. But it's also so important to Emily and she's paying for it. I don't know why Lorelai can't just play along. Lorelai looks like she's being stabbed repeatedly the entire time or having like severe cramps or something. She's just like, <laughs> I don't want to be here. How about we just make the theme rent the musical? <laughs> At some point, she even goes so far as to pretend that Rory is calling with an emergency. Well, Rory does call. Yeah, Rory, yeah, she doesn't just like pantomime phone calls. Rory calls, and then she, as soon as she picks up, she's like, what's going on? Who's hurt? That was really funny. Yeah. Emily's like, I can hear her. Yeah. Poor Rory is just like getting coffee and is like, what? Mom, you're being bad. And like you said, yeah, Emily can hear everything Rory's saying. She even says like, hi, Rory. It's very funny. But what's actually funny is that Lorelai continues to act it out even though she's been exposed. Yeah. Can we talk about this dude's, like, little decorations? Like, he's got, like, tables set up for possible themes, and they all look chintzy and bad. Yeah, one is, like, Parisian theme, which kind of makes sense. But it, Yeah, that would make sense. I don't know. The colors went well together, but it just didn't seem like an Emily-looking party. Yeah. I also, like, how expensive is this? Like, this dude has to be expensive just to be there. Though I bet Emily and Richard have money budgeted for Lorelai's wedding. Oh, for sure. I'm just like thinking about how much money rich people spend. I know. Okay, so now we need to talk about Kirk because (laughs) Kirk's side story in this episode is his most recent money-making scheme, which is to try to undersell the local students who are selling wrapping paper to fundraise for a new school gym. So he's just aggressively like at Luke's diner, just like going up to people, trying to sell them wrapping paper at a discounted price. It's pretty funny. He's just standing next to Miss Patty with like an armful of wrapping paper, trying to pressure her into ordering some. Luke starts giving him shit for this. And he's like, well, I saw an opportunity to enter the market at a lower price point and I took it. When Luke's like, well, they're not going to be able to afford the gym. He's like, I'm not a school, Luke. No one's raising money for me. (laughs) So funny. I'm not a school, Luke. No one's raising money for me. (laughs) I <laughs> loved that line. It was really funny. It was great. A kid shows up at the diner, I guess, to maybe sell wrapping paper, and Kirk's just like, get out of here. <laughs> By the way, someone outside is hammering something loudly. I don't know how long that's going to continue. Or... Uh, as always, please forgive us for living in New York, where sound is everywhere and always. Then Liz shows up with beautiful baby Doula. Yep, that's the baby's name. Once again, it's Doula. You and I both noticed something about this scene. So before we go any further... Amy left the show in season six. Yes. Amy is known for needing everyone to say her dialogue perfectly. You do not improvise on this show. Right. And sometimes that made it hard on set, I guess, or whatever. But that was, she was like, you got to say the lines as they're written. And we both just noticed that Liz just like mumbles out a bunch of this dialogue. And it definitely is not 
as written. She says, you know, like three times. Yeah, she's like describing something and she's like, you know, you were watching Survivor and they were, you know, doing that thing where, you know, just like, I was like, no way that's the way the line was written, whether it was Amy or not. Nobody writes like that. Right. And I love this actress. I love Liz, but it just seemed real sloppy. <laughs> like, yeah. not the quick dialogue Gilmore Girls is known for. It's just like, oh, that's not how the line was written at all. No, not at all. And it's not like she's been this character who says you know all the time. Right. Luke also says a line really weird. She asks him, like, if April's liking being a cousin. And he's like, yeah, I showed her the pictures. And she's going to frame the one of her in the orange jumper. He means the baby. But, like, the way he said it was like, yeah, obviously, she's going to frame the photo of the baby. Right. He just, like, separated the sentence in a way that didn't make any sense. Kirk then pops up next to her trying to move his wrapping paper. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he's so aggressive, which I love. Liz tells Luke that he should get a lawyer to work out his custody issues with Anna. And Luke's all like, it'll be fine. We'll talk. Everything will be great. I've got this list of like totally reasonable demands. She'll love it. He doesn't say she'll love it. <laughs> he's like, it'll be fine. <laughs> we had a big fight where I like came to her house in the middle of the night and screamed at her. And we haven't really spoken since, but I'm sure everything She'll love it. Great. She'll love it. Someone's building a treehouse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> then Liz just straight up abandons her baby on Luke's counter because she wants some alone time? What? Yeah, what? Like, she's asleep, but, like, it's a loud place. Yeah, and the show was even set up last season that it could be very dangerous back there behind that counter. Yeah, there's grease just dripping everywhere. There's pans flying around. He's working. He can't, like, watch her if she wakes up. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, I okay, if we're being real. Does she real, leave any equipment, even? Right. To be fair, probably, even if they just left the baby sitting on that counter for an hour, it would be fine. Yeah, totally. She just, like, ate and got put to sleep, I think. Even if she woke up and cried for an hour, like, in the grand scheme of things, she would be fine. Just full disclosure, yeah, she's not going to die. But right. it's weird to just be like, all right, I know you're working, brother, but, like, deal with this baby, too. Like, what the, what? Liz is a, such a, she's such a mooch. And just, like, demands so much of her brother. I, I like that the show lets Liz help her brother with his emotions and problems because he's not very good at that kind of stuff, and she is. So, I mean, we've talked about this before. There is give and take. She's not just, like, a freeloader off her brother, and then she never gives him anything in return. But, like, she really does take advantage of her brother a lot. Totally. Later in the episode, Lorelai is complaining about the whole planning process to Chris as they are shopping together. They're at the grocery store at Dosey's. And as they walk, she's grabbing different things to put in the cart, and she grabs some Captain Crunch. He's like, no, we don't need another sugary cereal in the house. We agreed on just one sugary cereal. And it's interesting because she reluctantly is like, okay, and acquiesces and puts it back on the shelf. And part of me is like, you shouldn't be telling her what to eat. Like, you're being controlling here, Christopher. And that's how I feel like I would have felt up until my 30s. But now that I live with a partner and I know what my shopping habits are, maybe it isn't awful to have a partner be like, you know, you don't need to buy that. <laughs> You're going to just eat I that do and get fat. feel like your grocery trips alone have different results than if I'm there. <laughs> uh -huh. And I don't think I'm mean. I'm just like, <laughs> we don't need to go down those aisles. But there might be something really good in those aisles. It's funny because I don't know how we're supposed to view this scene. On the one hand, it's like, oh, it's, he's being a little controlling. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but that is sort of how couples are. And it, maybe it's not awful. Like, if she had really insisted on getting the cereal, he would have let her, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's trying to rip joy from her life. He wants her to live a long time. Yeah. Because he loves her and, like, have teeth and gums and organs. 
Christopher's one of those traditional guys who likes women with organs and teeth and gums. <laughs> then they get in a line, and Lorelai complains about how long and slow the line is because Taylor's idiot niece is working the register. I can call her an idiot because she gets confused by lettuce, so I feel solid in calling her that. Then Chris tells Lorelai, oh, you can go ahead and just wait outside. I'll wait in line. And she's like, cool. And she, like, grabs some gum and goes outside. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah, like, what is she going to do outside? Also just stand there and not talk to anyone? Yeah, if she was like, God, I need a cigarette. Okay, yeah, yeah, go outside, grab a cigarette. But, like, she's just going to stand outside alone while he sits alone in a line. It'd be better for both of you to just chat. Or say she's going to, like, go to that magazine stand or something. Like, go Mm -hmm. give her an activity. Yeah, it's weird to be like, yeah, I want to stand outside. I don't want to have to wait in a line. Before we go any further, she also mentions in this scene that she's got nine more days of wedding planning. That's so many days. Yeah, that's too many days. Oh, also, the grocery shopping scene was all one take up until about this point. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Because they were, like, going through the whole thing just, like, grabbing boxes. I'm sure what they were supposed to grab had, like, marks on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was quite a bit of dialogue with a lot of movement. All of this is just to set up a moment for her to be alone with Luke. That's why the writers had her do that. But it doesn't make any sense. She goes outside and just, like, happens to run across Luke, who's taking the baby for a stroll, I guess. Where did he get a stroller? Yeah, I'm just like, where did the stroller come from? Is someone manning the diner right now? She did not come in with a stroller. She just had the carrier. Yeah, it's, what? I guess he could have one on hand, I guess. Maybe there was someone eating with a stroller, and he's like, can (laughs) I borrow that for a while? No one's going to wait on you, by the way. The diner being alone is fine. Like, he leaves it with Caesar all the time. Yeah. I agree. That, that's true. Lane. But where did he get this stroller? I'm glad you caught that, too. Maybe he went and bought one. I, Liz maybe could have left it outside, I guess. Like, the carrier detaches from it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the two run into each other, and it's awkward, but Lorelai tries to be positive. They start talking about the baby, and she picks up the baby, and the two of them are essentially just, like, coochie-cooing with the baby for a while until Christopher comes out with his groceries. I want to point out, again, there's, how was he done? With that line. Like, the whole point was that this line is going to take forever. And he's done with that line within two minutes. Weren't they just waiting for, like, one group? Then why wouldn't she wait? I don't know. This is all pretty contrived. So then Chris comes out and catches the two of them enjoying a baby together. (laughs) Mid-coochie-coo. Which just will break any man's heart, you know? (laughs) Luke touching the baby felt so forced like i get going in for a little poke here and there but he was just like as soon as laura i picked it up he's got his fingers in there like you're kind of cramping everyone's space right now luke they (laughs) they were trying to like make it so that the baby was grabbing his finger Mm -hmm. which is why he was attached to them but it was like it was too much seemed forced well obviously christopher catching them is all for dramatic effect and for the commercial break but the dude stands there for about forever he just stands there silently watching them coochie this baby. Coochie coo. Coochie coo. Thank you. This baby. Much better. With Luke's fingers. Uh, but he just like stares. And again, I know it's for a commercial, right? It's all like dramatic music, cut to commercial. Was there dramatic music? No, no, there wasn't. Dun, dun, dun. It's all for drama, but it's like, what is happening right now that's so insane, Christopher? That Luke is there and. Do you think it's his baby, Lorelai hid it from you? I think he was just upset with how cute and comfortable they were with this familial picture. Yeah. And Luke was also like feeding her sugary cereal from his hand, and he hated that. <laughs> <laughs> like a horse. <laughs> this isn't 
the only time they reference sugary cereal in this episode. It's not. Huh. Speaking of sugary cereal options, Rory is trying to work the system at the school cafeteria where she used to work. She thinks that she can claim Logan as her brother and then use her pass to get both of them a free meal. She has a leftover family pass yes. from Parents Weekend. Yes. She has her own pass. The guy does swipe her card. Yeah. So she's trying to get Logan for in for free. She's trying to tell Logan that he needs to eat here. And he's like, I've eaten here before. She's like, you had one thing of cereal. That didn't count. What's with partners and their like demands or opinions on cereal? It's weird. Partners, man. Partners. This was cute, though. They just kind of have this bit that she's like working the system and she's all tough. She's being like sneaky and like a con artist. She's got a line that she delivers really cutely. She's like, what's my middle name? Rory High Stakes Deception Gilmore. Yeah. And Logan's like playing along with it. He's like, oh, yeah, you totally know how to work the system. Yeah. But it doesn't work out because as soon as she claims Logan is her brother, some dude comes over and is like, Logan, what's up? Is this your girlfriend, Rory? It's pretty funny because Logan is like, I, I don't know, is it? <laughs> so she ends up having to pay full price for Logan's food, which is like. nine seventy five. That's so much for a cafeteria lunch. Yeah, it does. I mean, it is Yale. Maybe it's uh, amazing food, but. Yeah. Our food was like under three bucks. I mean, that was like the price for students, but I bet it was like five or six for non. Yeah, again, it's Yale. I, maybe things are more expensive there. I don't know. It's also weird that Logan doesn't pay for it because he had like offered to, but he just like leaves Rory to pay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he pays for a lot of shit for her, so. Yeah. The two of them run into Lucy, who is stealing a bunch of Apple Jacks. She stuffed her pockets full of them. Guys, this is why you need a partner to tell you that you have a cereal problem. You're stuffing your pockets full of cereal. <laughs> you need to stop. But she said she's doing it to stay awake in class. She needs sugar. Mm-hmm. She's got a real boring professor. I had a class like this. I was never a person that fell asleep in class. Like mm -hmm. high school, I don't think I ever fell asleep. But I had this like government class in college where literally the professor would just like drone on the whole time. Like not any kind of class participation requested. He would just like talk in such a boring voice. I like sat at a desk that was sort of against the wall and I fell asleep like every day. Oh, wow. I could just like read the book on my own and pass the tests and quizzes just fine. But it's like, he's got to be aware that everyone hates this, right? Yeah, maybe he does. He's just like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just like tenured and just like, I got to show up and talk for an hour. I fucking love the government. I'm just going to monologue. <laughs> it wasn't like he was reading the book. He was just like speaking matter of factly. I, I don't know what he said, but it was very good ASMR. Yeah, you should have recorded those. You could have been putting those on YouTube now and been rich. I wish. The whole cereal thing, though, I think it's just to remind us that Lucy is fun and quirky. She invites them to dinner, and then boyfriend, a.k.a. Marty, shows up. He sees Logan, and his face just fucking drops. I mean, I think you can, like, actually see him shit his pants in real time. I think he did such a good job, like, yeah. looking around at everyone, like, how do I navigate this? Trying to send them both eyes to not say anything. Totally. Knowing Logan doesn't maybe know not to say anything. He comes over like a dog that's about to be shamed for what he did in the trash can. and In the trash can? You know, because like dogs get into trash cans and then they feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. Although science says they may not feel bad about it. They just know that looking like they feel bad about it gets you to stop yelling at them. So they've adopted that behavior. I don't know that I know that that's true, but that's what some scientists believe. Anyway, moving on. Dogs are cool. Marty's not. Marty's not. Marty comes over and Lucy is surprised that Logan knows Marty. She's like... Wow, Rory, I bet you might have even have met Marty before and you didn't even know it. 
And before Logan could be like, um, none of this makes sense. We all know each other. In fact, it got real weird with me and Marty. And Rory stuck up for him. And that's sort of how we fell in love initially. And I told her to call me Master and Commander. And we never addressed that weird fucking thing I said one time. <laughs> Marty immediately is like, uh, babe, we gotta go. There's nothing wrong with your cereal problem. Let's go. And then Logan looks very perplexed. And then Lucy does like maybe um, what we would call a racist Indian accent um, regarding (laughs) she reminds them that they should go out to eat that night at a place that has Vindaloo. Yeah. They all agreed to go out to eat before Marty showed up. So now Marty's going to have to go to this thing. It's going to be weird. They leave and Rory and Logan go to sit down. And then as the two of them barely pretend to eat very tiny amounts of food. Rory explains how Marty is pretending that they never met, and she wasn't sure what to do, so she's been playing along. She says she thinks that Marty and Lucy are, like, super great together, but she also tells Logan about how drunk Marty at a party might have said something like, you're more beautiful than ever, in a real creepy, I still want to bang you sort of way. Logan is kind of weirded out that Rory has been hanging out with Marty all this time and not telling him. And I'm kind of like, yeah, Rory, maybe you should have told him. Because, like, you didn't like that he didn't use the her pronoun for one of his teammates. And there was some chemistry between you and Marty. It's weird that you didn't mention it. It's weird that you didn't mention the situation to Logan. I think she is kind of telling the truth when she's like, I just didn't think there was anything to tell. Because she's not, like, intentionally hanging out with Marty. He's just kind of there when she's with Lucy. I don't know that she was, like, actively trying to hide it from him. But I bet it also possibly was on her mind sometime when she was on the phone with Logan and she didn't bring it up. Yeah, you think she would like bring it up just to be like, ah, Marty's being weird. Yeah. Like the fact that she's not mentioning this because it is such a weird thing in her life that's affecting her. It's weird that she wouldn't bring it up just as like something to complain about. Exactly. It's probably like the biggest thing that happened to her one of the days. Yeah, it's one of the big plot points of this season. So what else is she even talking to him about if not one of the biggest plot points of the season for her? (laughs) Logan tells her that she should come clean with Lucy because, you know, they're friends, but also says that he'll go to dinner and it's suggested that he won't bring it up. That night, Lorelai and Christopher are in bed and Christopher's all like, hey, uh, what if I inseminated you like right now? Whoa. I mean, that's what he said. He's all like, let's make a baby. He didn't say it like a game show host. (laughs) Let's make a baby. (laughs) What's the guy's name from the old game shows? I mean, there's more than one guy. The creepy creepy guy in Family Feud. Oh, Richard Dawson. I mean, that's the thoughts that Richard Dawson had every time he met a contestant on the show. Look up Richard Dawson. Dude's a creep. Ew. So Lorelai is taken aback like, whoa, hey, what? Like, have a baby right now. What do you mean? And he's all like, well, don't you want to have another kid? And she tells Chris that she thinks she wants another kid. And Christopher's like, cool, cool. Let's bone right now. But then when she's reluctant to, you know, insta-breed, he (laughs) reminds her that their kid would be financially taken care of. Because remember, he's rich. But then when she still doesn't give him the green light, he gets very cold and just like turns over to his side of the bed and like pout sleeps. I get why he's like anxious about all this. Because he like asks her, do you not think we'll work? And she's like, no, I'm not thinking that at all. And like genuinely means it. Yeah. But I I think he's just like insecure because of the coochie coo. (laughs) But like, did you say coochie coo or did you say poochie coo? Because I heard poochie coo, which is a different thing. I said coochie coo. Okay. Because Christopher wants a poochie coo. I, what? I, I don't know the <laughs> distinction, babe. Well, Google it. Okay, partner. <laughs> oh. I made it up. But it's totally reasonable she'd want to talk about it for like any time at all. 100%. She's like in her late 30s for one. It, it might not just like happen tonight. Yeah. 
There's things to consider that Chris doesn't know. Specifically, she told the therapist who was set up to date Christopher that she wants kids. Yeah. And she told Luke that she wants to have kids with Luke. It's true. So when Christopher's like, do you want to have kids? She's not immediately like, yes, I want kids. She's sort of hesitant. She's like, yeah, I think I do. And she's in a situation now where this kid, as Christopher points out, there's no complications when it comes to, like, the kid being taken care of. Even if they were to break up, this kid is going to be financially cared for. Even if they were to break up, Christopher is going to take care of this child because he's made that clear that he's changed. Yeah. So the fact that she's still hesitant to the viewer, not Christopher, because he doesn't have that information, is sort of like, ooh, that's weird that you're not as gung-ho as you were previously. Yeah, totally. Again, Christopher doesn't have this. And again, everything you said is totally true. It's fine to be like, do you want to try to have a baby right now? I don't think there's anything wrong with like trying to spring that on someone if they're your partner. But then if your partner's like, well, let's think about it. I think that's totally reasonable. And you should be like, yeah, that makes sense. I just thought this would be like a spur of the moment, super romantic thing. And we're financially set. So it's totally fine. And we were probably gonna do this anyway. I thought it might make you hot. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's an ego blow to be like, I just want to think about it a little bit. Right, like, you maybe want to, like, do some math and think about, like, okay, am I going to be, like, going into labor on the day Rory graduates from Yale, you right. know? Like, right, when will this baby be born? There's just, like, small things to consider, even if she does want to have a kid with Christopher. Mm-hmm. And I think she could say that to him. I think he, he just takes it so, like, well, if you're not going to breed with me now, then I'm mad. <laughs> but, like, I, I get his point of view because he he doesn't have any confidence in their relationship. He's just like worried that she doesn't really love him, which I don't know if she does. I don't know that she knows that she does. Cause Lorelai never knows what she wants unless she knows. Unless she knows. Well, like with Luke, she suddenly knew that she needed to get married that moment. Mm. I didn't mean like she actually knew it was just like, suddenly she seems very sure of herself, but it's like, but do you know that about yourself? So I kind of get his point. The next day at the diner, Kirk is there very proud of himself. He's made a ton of money. I guess, wrapping paper. He's really screwed the school out of a ton of money. And a bunch of kids show up to confront Kirk. And they're like, come on outside. <laughs> and so he goes out there. but And he's all like, don't make me get violent. Now, does he get like beat up in the background? Because I don't remember seeing that. I was hoping so, but I, I didn't look for it. But I don't think so. Yeah, I think I feel like they cut a scene or something to end his storyline. I love, he's just like going on about like how he's destroying these middle schoolers. And yeah. be getting a gym anytime soon. <laughs> prank calling him and luke's just kind of like going about his business humoring him (laughs) like he's actively listening but you can tell he doesn't care at all yeah what the school should do is just ask christopher and they'll he'll just buy everything for them that's true luke though is a little concerned that april's not showing up for their movie nights so he calls anna and anna is all cool vibes on the phone until she drops that oh april's not coming what i guess she didn't take too kindly to luke showing up to her house in the middle of the night and yelling at her kind of like i predicted So April isn't going to be coming because this is all her decision, not his like he insisted. And then she just hangs up on him. What? I feel like it's fair for her to be mad and to be like, April can't come today. But like, you got to let him know that. Yeah, you don't just like not have her show up. Or have April call him and tell him she can't come or something. Mm -hmm. It's mean just to like abandon him. Yeah, I mean, I I get that she is upset. What I would imagine is that you're both upset. You have some time to cool off. And this is clearly how Luke thought of it because of what he said to Liz earlier. You both cool off. And then she realizes like, yeah, it wasn't cool that he showed up. But like he is the father and I need to maybe respect him a little bit more in that regard. But that's not the conclusion she came to. She came to the conclusion that I'm mad at Luke. So fuck him. 
he's threatening my control over my daughter. I'm just so angry at this Anna character because you put Luke in this situation. You didn't tell him he had a kid. I I don't want to retread all of this, but like, I'm sorry, Anna, you owe him. You owe him all the time he missed with his daughter. It's 50% his daughter. I don't care that you raised it without him. I would care if it were a Chris situation and he chose to abandon his daughter, but that's not what happened. You decided for him that he wasn't going to be part of that child's life. So you don't get to pretend that she's more your kid than his. That's bullshit. And I also feel like April's old enough to like get somewhat of a say. Or yeah. at least like we should be asking her how often she wants to be with Luke. Yeah. Again, I get fighting. I get emotions being flared up. But I think if you think of this rationally, it's clear Luke loves his kid. It's also clear that Luke is very responsible and like deserves to see his daughter frequently, quite honestly. Anyway, boo Anna. Boo. I feel like last season, like I sort of understood her point of view with stuff. So when there was fights, I was like, okay, but I get sort of where she's coming from. But like this whole stuff, I'm like, no, this is just like your pride, really. The next day, Lorelai and Christopher are at the event space for the wedding party. You know, there's like a million more days of this. Yeah, earlier in the grocery store, Lorelai mentioned that they had like nine more days of wedding planning. That's yeah. so many days scheduled. Yeah. And Christopher is not playing along with all of Lorelai's jokes and dismissive and rude comments to the party planner. This scene is a big contrast to how easily and energetically they improved off each other at the top of the episode when they were at the open house. Now Chris is just a big grumpy puss. And I get it. He did go to bed with some massive blue balls and probably woke up a little sad. Emily has way too much planned. She wants this to essentially be another wedding. Lorelai was hoping this was going to be just like a little celebratory party. But really, it's clear that Emily wants this just to be like the wedding they missed. It's kind of funny because she's like, you guys could come up with vows of your own or you could have traditional vows. Emily complains about a friend of hers who wrote her own wedding vows. And Emily's like, she talked about making her husband lasagna, but who wants to hear the word lasagna at a wedding? <laughs> Love that. Like, like, I don't, wouldn't bother me. The word lasagna. Gross. <laughs> yeah. That would ruin a wedding for me. This was such a weird transition into talking about the vows because mm-hmm. they like approach this like long table with a bunch of wine on it. And, like, the dude starts to go over which wine should go with the fish course. And presumably he's going to say which wine should go with each course. But after, like, one, Emily's like, so about the vows. I'm like, what What about the wine? <laughs> it's like a weird <laughs> transition. It was for TV, but it felt forced. Lorelai calls Emily out saying, like, I don't want this to be a wedding. And Emily defends herself saying that she and Richard want to see their only child get married. And they're, like, sad that they missed it. And Lorelai, it looks to Christopher for support, but Christopher agrees with Emily and then gets offended that Lorelai says they eloped only to avoid all of this stuff instead of because, you know, they were in love and it was romantic and it was spur of the moment. I hear what he's saying. I kind of feel like he's just looking for a fight right now. He's like fishing for fights. Yeah, I I think this is a well-written scene other than that vow transition. But like, (laughs) yeah, you just said it was bad. No, I think he makes a good point that like, yeah, she was going to get married with Luke. She had like a whole wedding planned. Mm -hmm. She was planning a wedding with Max. Like, it's weird that she doesn't want this. Like, is she ashamed of it? Like, I get his concern. Mm -hmm. Like, I get the idea that Emily is just too much. Like, we got to do all this stuff. And Lorelai's like, I don't care about all that stuff. I get her like not wanting to do things Emily's way. That makes sense for her character. Yeah. But in the same token, like, Lorelai spent more time decorating her house to look like all of Asia than she is on this wedding. Yeah. 
Emily and Farber are getting vibes like, oh, it's getting pretty hot in here right now, right? So let's just excuse ourselves and leave. Emily sees most of the fight, but then the two of them walk away. Christopher also refers to Luke as that diner guy. It's like, you, you know who he is. And she's like, that diner guy? And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry that I wasn't being more respectful of the guy who just like came to my house and punched me in the face. And I'm like, that's fair. Right. It's complicated, though, Chris, because he did just come over and punch you in the face, which is not okay. But in the same token, you did come to like ruin their relationship and like said as much at the last wedding type ceremony you were at. It was a vow renewal. I tried to avoid saying it because it's so difficult, but say vow renewal three times fast at home. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to, don't even try. Why did you try? Look, look, look at you stumbling over those words. Some of you probably did it fine. And Vow renewal, vow renewal, vow renewal. Oh. The second one was a little yeah, wobbly. It was a little wobbly. We might have did pretty good. But you've been practicing it. Yeah. Then Christopher leaves in a huff. But Emily is aware of their tension. Yes. Emily saw all of this and didn't seem excited about it. Luke, meanwhile, is getting metaphorically punched in the face at his new lawyer's office. Dude gives Luke some real talk. He tells Luke that he's probably going to lose his case if he tries to get any type of custody of April, but this is the only way he might get any kind of custody from April. But mothers tend to win these types of cases, and he also asks Luke, like, do you have any kind of record? And he's like, well, I beat up a dude's car one time. That's fine, right? Lawyers are like, I don't know about that. He doesn't say that, but that's what his face says. Yeah, he asks if he attended anger management classes for that, and Luke's like, I don't need to. And we're like, mm, might not be the worst idea for you, Luke. Yeah, Luke, I think that you could just take those anyway. Maybe you should always be on those. I don't know. That was a weird voice. It was. So Luke's sad about this. It's a pretty quick scene, more on this later. But the dude's just like telling Luke how it is. Like, you're probably not going to win, but you got to fight. If you love your daughter, you should do this. Pay me. <laughs> And it's going to get harder when she moves out of state, so they got to yeah. hurry. Yeah, they got to do it now. I'm glad, though, that we are referencing that time you beat up a car just so it has some significance to the plot because it felt like it didn't when it happened. I don't really remember exactly what happens, but I wonder if, like, they're going to try to get dirt on Anna or something because he, like, asked if there was and Luke was, like, surprised that that was something that was being brought up. I think that, like, saying that, like, yeah, she knowingly did not tell me I had a daughter, the court would be like, yeah, you can't just do that. Right. Kurt is just, you have no idea, a bird just went by and he just like lost his mind. I hear birds. Speaking of not telling someone something they should know, Logan and Rory are having dinner with Lucy and Marty. Things are, things are going on is what I've written down. (laughs) (laughs) Things are going on. Things are going well. Logan is being friendly. It doesn't seem like anyone's spilling the beans. Then the topic of work comes up. Logan makes a joke about how he used to just skate by doing the least amount of work possible. But then it gets mentioned that he's actually working really hard now. And then Lucy's like, oh, but my boyfriend, he works crazy hard. He has four jobs. She's super proud of him for this. But Marty does not take this as a compliment. I felt different ways. I've watched the scene twice now. I felt different ways about it. It's clear to me that he's embarrassed by the fact that he needs to work all of these jobs. Yeah. Like, she's like, you have four. He's like, no, I don't have four. And then she, like, lists them all. He's like, no, that's, like, three. It's not four. And Marty has always struggled financially and probably feels very emasculated by the fact that Logan has barely had to do any work in his life and Logan is set for life and can make Rory set for life. Right. And can buy her handbags that are more money than Marty will ever see. Despite the fact that, like, Lucy's proud of him and likes this about him. Right. But it still feels like, yeah, I do work a lot and that's cool. But, like, 
it sucks that that's just who I am. That's the life I was born into that I have to work so hard. I'm not a provider like Logan. Yeah. And this has been something that he has dealt with in previous episodes, like when they went out to eat and he just like literally didn't have enough money to pay and didn't know what to do. It's just so embarrassing and so emasculating that like, I don't know, like I almost almost see Marty's point of view here. I don't see Marty's point of view when it comes to any of the stuff of hiding his relationship with Rory from Lucy. I think that's stupid shit Marty's doing. He shouldn't have done. Honestly, like, you deserve getting broken up with for doing that. You shouldn't have hidden that from your girlfriend or done that to Rory. But in this scene, I get why he might say what he says, even though it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, he. I get why he's frustrated and does what he does, but he really throws the first punch here when, like, Logan's being pretty cool by, like, covering for him, essentially. Yeah, Logan says... That's a lot of jobs, my boy. And I think he's just trying to, like, acknowledge what Lucy said and just sort of lightheartedly respond in a way that it's like, that is a lot of jobs, but, like, who cares? We're done talking about it, you know? But I could also see that being taken like an insult. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw this, I didn't think of it as an insult, but I could see, from Marty's point of view, while he's so vulnerable right now, the rich kids are like, yeah, you got a lot of jobs, my boy. My yeah, he maybe left out diminutive. my boy. It's, yeah. Again, I don't think Logan is trying to be condescending. No, But I could see if you're, like, waiting for condescension for that to be felt as a big condescending punch in the face. So Marty clearly takes it as an insult because then he sort of sarcastically says, hey, I'm just waiting for that trust fund to kick in, which is undeniably a dig at Logan. Like, there's no way to take that differently. That's a dig at Logan. Logan's comment, you could be like, eh, I could see how you take that way, but it doesn't have to be. But Marty's comment is definitely an insult to Logan. Right. Logan does not take the bait at first. You actually think that maybe Logan's just going to roll with it and be cool. But then Logan asks how Lucy and Marty met. Lucy tells this creepy story about how Marty showed up at every one of her plays in the front row. So she, like, confronted him one night and was like, you're a stalker. You better bring flowers or a knife next time. So he brought flowers and a butter knife, and it's all been gravy since then. It's a bit creepy, really, but Yeah, it further solidifies Marty's a bit creepy. (laughs) Yeah. But then Lucy asks how Logan and Rory met. Logan sighs and then just says, well, Marty introduced us. Then he apologizes to Rory and says he can't keep doing this. And then he spills all them beans we were talking about. Lucy, finding out that her boyfriend and new friend have, for some reason, been lying about knowing each other, does not take this very well. And she storms out. A lot of storming out in the show. Marty goes after her. Good luck with that, man. It's over. You're done. There's no chance she's going to be like, I can forgive you for this lying to my face you've been doing. I can trust you. No, it's over, dude. So that leaves Rory and Logan to continue to pretend to eat food. And (laughs) Rory obviously is pissed that Logan told her secret. And he's like, well, I was asked a direct question, and she's a nice girl. I'm not going to lie to her. This is all very interesting. I actually like the writing on this. Yeah. Because I feel like one way to read this, and I think there's true, is that Logan got insulted, and he's like, I'm not going to play this game anymore. You insulted me. And I, I think that that is true to an extent. But I also think that Logan needed to be prodded to actually spill the beans. Yeah. Like, he wasn't going to just do it. I think that would have been a betrayal. But, like, if he's given the opportunity, it's like, well, now I have the green light because you forced my hand. Exactly. But I also think that, like, Logan's father has instilled in him, like, a no-bullshit mentality. Like, you should just be honest with people even if it upsets them. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We've set up, right, that that's how his father thinks. He's told that to Richard. 
he was super honest with Rory about how he felt about her prospects as a journalist, even though he knew that was going to crush her. And again, real quick. You crushed that girl. People, yeah. People will argue that he was wrong about Rory, and that's not relevant. What's relevant is, did he think that Rory didn't have what it took to be a journalist? And I think that he did think that. He, he also said that, like, hey, maybe my instincts are wrong. And later said to Richard, like, if I'm wrong, this is going to make her a better journalist. So I think he was being honest with Rory in that moment, even if he ended up being wrong. And who knows? Maybe he was right, but him saying all this to Rory is what changed her and lit a fire under her ass to be more aggressive and make her into the journalist that does have it. We've talked about that to death. We won't go anymore. My point is that I think Logan's father is a guy who values honesty, even when it's rough and mean. And so I think that's rubbed off on Logan. So I was like, I buy this. I don't think Logan was wrong to do this, but I do also think that he was like sort of pushed out of a place of like jealousy and anger. Mm -hmm. Because I I don't think he was like super cool with Rory not telling him. And there's a couple things in the scene, like Marty picks up Rory's napkin. Yeah. And I think him like hearing the story about Marty being kind of a creep and the way he met Lucy is like, yeah, I don't fucking care about Marty. I'm going to ruin his day right now. Sure. Yeah, I agree. But I think there was maybe more to his choice to spill it than what he told Rory. But I don't blame him. But there's also like this, like, if you're lying to Lucy, like, could you be lying to me? Lucy's yeah. your friend. Why are you li- Why are you two lying to Lucy? And you, you're, you were lying by omission to me. So this is weird. And I feel like you could be just as easily lying to me about your relationship. I don't think that's insane. Yeah. If you were like, yeah, I lie to all my friends about this one thing. I'd be like, well, do you also lie to me? Afterwards, Rory calls her mom, who is doing inventory at the inn, super late at night, to avoid talking to Christopher, I assume. Rory can tell that that's weird, but when her mom's like, no, everything's fine, she's all like, all right, well, cool. I'm more upset about my own thing. We'll just move on. <laughs> she complains about Logan and says there was no reason for him to be jealous and boys suck. Lorelai assures her that, yes, boys do suck sometimes. Rory's like, tell me it gets better sometimes. She's like, it gets better sometimes. Well, it gets more complicated. This is almost like a callback to Buffy in the Lie to Me episode where Buffy tells Giles, it gets better, right? And he's like, eh, no, not really. Yeah, I'm sure it's a callback to that. I think it is. Um, It's a connection. You know, it's a multi-seasonal connection to one conversation. (laughs) You know, she complains saying that he has no reason to be jealous. But I'm like, I don't know. Logan probably remembers how intimately you guys watched Fuck Soup a couple seasons ago. You were so worried about Bobby's legs. He's probably worried about your Marty lap legs. I feel like that's fair. Yeah, Rory told him about that. <laughs> you can sense it through the door. Rory's like, Lucy's really mad at me. And Lorelai's like, well, maybe after some time, after she cools off, everything will be fine. And Rory's like, yeah, I hope so. Then we get this absolute gem of a scene. I love This is like makes the whole episode. This next part has no dialogue, which is fantastic. Christopher is at a bar getting sad drunk. He gets up to leave and sees an angry Luke arriving home. He's probably mad because of the real talk his lawyer just laid on him. The two of them lock eyes. And then Christopher just starts assertively walking towards Luke. And then Luke starts assertively walking towards Christopher. The two of them have just like absolute hate in their eyes. Both of them angry about stuff. Maybe not necessarily at each other, but that's a good place to take this anger out. They just meet together in the park. And Chris wildly swings at Luke, missing completely because Christopher doesn't know how to fight. He also is drunk. Then Luke just decks him to the ground. Then the two of them just have this long ass, hilariously long and like slow fight in the park where they're slamming each other into various Christmas decorations, knocking down Christmas trees, throwing each other to the ground repeatedly all the time. 
these like little Christmas decorations are like playing low key Christmas jingles. It's a really funny juxtaposition. <laughs> he like throws them into a giant gingerbread house where it's like Jingle Bells is cheerily playing. No dialogue, just Christmas jingles and grunts. Loved it. It is very slow. And it's not as like hardcore as an actual fight I think would be between two men. Yeah, I feel like it seems silly because it is just like two grown men fighting over a woman. But I don't know that they are fighting over a woman. I think they're both just like frustrated for separate reasons and they hate each other and bumped into each other and just decided to take out their frustration. Yeah, I think it's almost like a joke about how like men and women process stress differently. Yeah. And like these men are just like, fight. (laughs) Like, Like crawl back up and just like breathe heavily circling each other and just kind of walk away yeah this all this is so slow too it seems like uh almost like they're doing a parody of that famous slow fight from the movie they live the two men are just slowly punching each other and taking turns slowly getting up to fight some more but eventually these two tired old men just angrily circle each other like you said and then go their separate ways i just want to point out christopher at least is probably younger than you in this episode um, you keep saying he's drunk. I, he was about to drive. I don't know. They didn't like yeah, give us true. any clues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had like six beers. He, he was at least finishing one. You're right. You're absolutely right. And you pointed this out when we watched it. I'm getting a drunk vibe from him. The fight, you can't tell if they're stumbling or just falling. He also wouldn't need to drive. They're like close to the diner, which I is, think is walkable from home. Yeah. Also, where, is Luke getting back from the lawyer now? It's nighttime. Yeah, we don't know when he went or how far away the lawyer lives. It's like late at night because Lorelai's like doing inventory late. Maybe he went to go beat up that dude's car again. Yeah, just remember those times. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they didn't just name this episode Boys Suck. I feel like that would have been a fitting title. <laughs> Mary Fisticuffs. That is fitting. Then we have a very quick scene where Roy stops by Lucy's place. Livy answers the door and tells him that neither of them really want to see Roy right now. Rory leaves sad and crying. She's ruined this relationship. And at the end of the day, it's Marty and her fault, really. I don't know why she didn't come clean to both of them. It's Marty fucked her up by doing this. Yeah. But she did play along. Then we get one more scene. Lorelai arrives home late. It's dark. And her mother is waiting for her on the porch. Now it's time for some real talk from Emily. She tells Lorelai that Christopher's immature and doesn't always make the best decisions. And she doesn't like X, Y, and Z about Christopher. And I'm like, okay, where's this going? But then she's like, but listen, I like Christopher. Neither of you is perfect, but I think you guys are really good together. He's good for you. But Emily thinks that Lorelai has to understand that sometimes marriage is about compromise. And sometimes it's about losing fights and doing what the other person wants to do. Specifically, like, sometimes you got to do what Christopher wants, even though you may not want to do it. And if you don't do that, Emily's afraid that their marriage might not work out. And Emily doesn't want that for her. And then she leaves. And this seems like a very real Emily situation. This isn't necessarily her being manipulative. I feel like Emily's saying how she actually feels. And yeah. like is trying to give her daughter good advice. I liked it. Yeah, me too. She actually loves her and wants this to work out for her. And you can tell Lorelai like isn't upset about it. Right. So like thinks Emily might have a point. Mm-hmm. Emily just kind of like leaves, pleased with herself and says, sorry for startling you. So I'm interested to see how she takes that advice. Like if she's just going to start having babies or what? I don't know. So Stacy, was this a good episode? There's a couple things I didn't like about it, but otherwise I think so. Yeah. Like I didn't like the wedding planner. Yeah, he sucked. But I really liked that last scene with Emily. Mm-hmm. I liked the conflict with Logan and like him blowing that shit up at dinner. I thought that was good. Yeah. I liked all the scenes with him and Rory. Sneaking into the dining hall was really cute. Christopher and Lorelai's fight felt real. Mm-hmm. 
I love Luke trying to fight for his daughter. Luke and Christopher's fight was funny. It's like, for the most part, I, I think Christopher and Logan are like justified and Lorelai and Rory are being the ones that kind of are making mistakes right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the show does a pretty good job of being, you know, humans are humans. Like, Logan mm-hmm. isn't 100% right. Right. Like, Neither some of his motivations aren't, like, for the greater good, you know? Both Logan and Christopher are insecure about things right now. Yeah. Which is why they're acting how they're acting. Yeah. But their insecurities are maybe justified. At least, specifically, Christopher's. I think his are. Yeah. And I think that Logan's, his feelings are justified, but I, you know, we know that Rory isn't into Marty, but. The Kirk thing was funny. Yeah. Although we never got a resolution. I wonder if he gets beat up off screen and we, I just like didn't, I kind of looked for it, but then maybe I missed it. I think we would have, they would have buttoned the scene with him like running, shouting something. Um, so yeah, I think it was a good one. Me too. I liked it. Not the best ever, but I think compared to other recent ones, I thought it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Talk about things we absolutely love. Now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 7, Episode 10, Witchness Protection. <laughs> the Avatars insist that Leo protect Kira, a seer because she has information that can help them destroy the demons and help the sisters reconcile themselves to the Avatars. So let's recap what's happened with the Avatars. They appeared to Leo mm-hmm. to get his help yep. with, like, perfecting their Avatarness so they can appear on this plane. Yeah. They commandeered Leo's dog body and had a hell of a day being dogs, but Leo was, like, not super aware that they did that. Right. So they've got some kind of control over Leo. So I, d- I don't know that this is, like good that they're trying to destroy the demons like it sounds good in theory that they're going to help the sisters destroy demons but i i think the avatars are probably not good oh you think they're bad yeah yeah so i think they like save the seer and the demons try to kill the seer you know they fight off the demons they kill the demons but at the end the avatar the seers are like oh by the way some of the stuff i'm seeing is that the avatars are no good so then the sisters are like oh why did we just do this whole episode we should have been fighting the avatars yeah, and their sister's like, I don't know, we got to stretch this. There's a lot of episodes this season. Yeah, this is like a real filler. <laughs> Middle episode. It's and that's Christmas. All that happens. Yeah, it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's Christmas in the other two episodes. I assume it's Christmas in this one. And all of this is over like a backdrop of like family Christmas. Mm-hmm. Chris comes. He's like, Merry Christmas. My partner is very good at puns, but sometimes she slips. And- but, but Chris isn't. <laughs> what that's you talking about? That's a great pun. Yeah. He's, he's trying to make this pun happen the whole episode. Like, we get it. Your name's Chris. You did this last year. And then he teaches baby Chris to do it. It's weird that both Chris's exist. Right. They shouldn't touch. It might be like a timey-wimey thing. A timey-wimey thing? Yeah. It was really weird when big Chris tried to coochie-coo little Chris. <laughs> timey-wimey is a, is a phrase. Is it? Type in timey-wimey. I will not. Okay. Just because we need to fill this one out because we wrapped it up already. Um, the first thing that comes up is who says wibbly wobbly. Okay, but did it not auto-complete timey-wimey for you? It started, to, it's a Doctor Who thing, I think. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, the avatars are probably bad. They did deal with the demons, which I guess is good. And uh, they all eat pie. Oh, I didn't know about the pie. I must yeah, have dozed off. Yeah, you fell asleep. Off. Yeah. I would have stayed up if you had told me pie was coming. Sorry. Well, anyway. This is Ben. Meanwhile on Charmed. Then we watched Buffy. Can you please tell us all about the episode Bring on the Night? Oh, man. Bring on the Night 
Is this related to Angel? Angels, they're trying to bring on the night as well. Yeah, but no. We should real quick about Angel. So both Angel and Buffy are having these like giant apocalyptic events. The stuff that's happening in LA would be like worldwide news. Yeah. But like none of that gets mentioned in Buffy. It seems like they should be dealing with the same issue. Yeah, they're not connected. Well, dumb. in my head, I have found a way that they're connected, but there's, there's no actual plot thing that connects them. That's dumb. So, Bring on the Night is about just kind of still dealing with this, like, super old vampire that has shown up. And Giles comes to town with a bunch of ladies. <laughs> just floozies, drunk. <laughs> He's like, I've changed my life. That's my <laughs> accent. But first... Xander's upset because the window he just fixed got kicked in by cultists. He says he's doomed to keep replacing the windows and that it's a loop like the mummy hand. That was funny. <laughs> the women are all trying to research the first but aren't having any luck. Anya's rocking glasses. I like that for her. Mm-hmm. Andrew's still tied up in a chair. I like that for him. <laughs> he's still knocked out from the cultist attack. This is all funny. <laughs> yeah, Dawn suspects he's faking, so she slaps him, but he's not faking. Buffy gets frustrated that they can't figure this out. She asked someone to pass her a book, and very sweetly, Joyce hands it to her. It's very nice. That's nice. Joyce is back. Oh, wait, what? She, she is supposed to be dead, so it's a little weird. Yeah. Buffy's like, shut up, Mom. You're the first. And turns out Buffy was dreaming all of this. To be fair, I feel like Buffy has like a moment of actual vulnerability here, where she's like, Mom? Like, it hurts her heart, or there's like a bit of hope that it is her mom. Yeah. But it turns out that Buffy was dreaming, so that was probably the first Maybe it was just a dream. Maybe it was a prophetic dream. Regardless, she doesn't tell her friends about it. Seems like shareable information, but no. Meanwhile, Spike's being dragged around a dungeon by the brand new, super creepy old vampire from last week. When fake Drew appears to him. She's telling the vampire to kick the shit out of Spike. Seems like this vampire dude, like, really loves violence and has been cooped up for, like, maybe all of eternity, so he's excited to hit some things. She indicates that soon he'll have some little girls to rip up, but more on that later. For now, he can beat the shit out of Spike, and he does. The next day, Anya and Dawn are trying to wake up Andrew by throwing water at him. It doesn't work. Dawn's like, well, maybe if you threw hot water at him. <laughs> so they're about to go get some hot water yeah. when Buffy comes in, and they just like pretend like nothing was happening. Yeah, that was so. that's what I was talking about. That was so funny. But then Andrew does cough himself awake, and Anya kind of slaps at his chin. It's like, silly Andrew, you drooled all over yourself. <laughs> He's just, like, covered in water. Yeah. He drooled up by her logic. They explain to Andrew that the thing that's been appearing to him as Warren is called the First. And while he thinks that the First isn't a very good name for a big bad, he agrees to lead them to the seal in the school basement. Andrew doesn't know much about the seal or what it does, but in the room, they notice this tortury apparatus covered in blood. This is, of course, what the first had Spike strapped to at the end of the last episode when they bled him out to open the seal, release the vampire. Buffy's like, we got to cover up the seal. Luckily, there are enough shovels lying around this room for all four of us to use. (laughs) A lot of people come down here with shovels. I guess Andrew and Jonathan probably had shovels, but they wouldn't have had four. The first can't use shovels. Maybe Principal Wood just keeps a bunch down there. After they're done, they're heading out of the basement. Andrew mentions that this place gives him the creeps, just like this very specific issue of a Wonder Woman comic. Like, he says the issue number, and Xander's like, yeah, catacombs with the skeletons. And in unison, they both say that was cool, and they, like, smile. And then Xander remembers he's supposed to hate this guy, and just, like, shoves him and tells him to keep moving. Dawn and Buffy are walking slightly behind them when they bump into Principal Wood. 
also carrying a shovel. They have a super awkward conversation about why they're all here in the darkness with shovels. We know why Principal Wood is there. Yes, he was burying Jonathan in the desert. But he says that somebody left the shovel in the courtyard and he was returning it. And Buffy says she was down here helping Don bury a time capsule for a school project. You know, down in the basement where students aren't supposed to go. What a flimsy ass story. Like, what time of day is it? You're just down here burying a time capsule for school? I guess it's early morning because it was night a second ago. But also, like, you're burying a time capsule in the basement of a school. I feel like you get approval for that. Why are they taking the shovels with them anyway? Like, they should have just left them in the room. Maybe they're worried people would dig up the seal again? Yeah, maybe. Neither of them really believe each other, I don't think. Probably because they're both maybe up to something shady and they don't really want to get into accusing anyone of anything because then they got to answer for themselves. But Principal Wood tells her that if she's feeling better, he really could use her back at work. Remember, Dawn came in and lied to him in the last episode about Buffy being sick so she could stay home and rehab Spike. Yeah. There's a funny bit where they say she's all better because the doctor gave her some, and while Buffy says pills, Dawn says cream. (laughs) What would a cream even do for a puking pooping problem? (laughs) (laughs) Put some cream on it. I mean, maybe if your butt gets raw, it would like soothe it, but it's not going to stop the avalanche. Right. I'm glad we went into detail on (laughs) that thought experiment. Also, I think Principal Wood isn't bad. I think it's a red herring. I'm not positive. They're definitely trying to confuse us. But my current theory is that he's not bad, and the first is just messing with him, too. Like, he stopped in his tracks and went down to the basement last week. I think it's because an apparition that we didn't see appeared to him and told him to. Maybe even ghosts of Principal's past? That'd be cool. Flutie? Quark? You there? They're both dead. Could be. Vroom, vroom. I have no thoughts or opinions. Back at the semi-res, Willow's about to try a locator spell, but it immediately goes poorly. There's a little explosion. We see a flash of, like, that Slimer-looking demon that Buffy saw in Amends when she was hanging out with the first. Hanging out, chatting with. You know when (laughs) Buffy and the first went for drinks? I think it doesn't look like Slimer. I think it looks like a scary-ass monster demon. It's just, you decide Oh, it yeah, like it doesn't look like Slimer. It looks like one of those finger puppets. I think that's what we said. Those yeah. little monsters that you stick on the tip of your finger. That you see at the end of every episode? Uh, yeah. Well, the first kind of takes over Willow and makes her speak in this demony voice and yells, You only make me stronger! Buffy gets lighting bolted across the room. Xander smashes the cauldron that they're using to make the spell happen, and it all stops. Willow's really freaked out. She's scared that the demon's still inside her. It's going to use her to hurt people. Buffy's like, sure, sure, it's cool. We won't use magic to fight the first until we know what we're doing. And Willow's kind of like, or maybe not ever, please. Don't make me do that again. So Buffy's about to head out to just like fight the first without any kind of idea of what that means. She's just got to go. But when she opens the front door, Giles is there? Giles is back. Guess he must have survived that neck axing. Yeah, so the last time we saw him... An axe was getting chopped towards his neck, and then we cut away, and then we didn't see him for a whole episode. The council was like, Giles is missing. We got to find him. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Then that building blows up, and now Giles is just back. Yeah. No stories of a near neck axing. Yet, anyway. Yes. Bubby's about to hug him. More on that later. But they're interrupted by three young women who come bouncing into the house. Giles says he's sorry to barge in, but he's afraid they've got a slight apocalypse. What else is new? That's a fun line. Yeah. 
Turns out all these women are potential slayers. What? Waiting to see which one gets called. I said this. You did. So this is like a weird little pageant where all the contestants are just like waiting around for a girl in prison to die? Yep. But Faith is safe in prison. Yeah. There's no chance she's going to die. She's safe. That's the safest place to be. Right. Except the first can kind of go anywhere. But they can't touch people. Yeah. Mm. Well, Giles says that all of the potential slayers are on the way to Sunnydale from all around the world, though there aren't as many as there used to be. He also confirms that Buffy's dreams and my predictions were true. The other slayers were murdered, and those were the girls who we were seeing running around foreign countries getting stabbed at the beginning of episodes earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it seems that the first plan is to kill all the slayers in training, their watchers, Faith, and of course Buffy, completely wiping out the slayer line. I'm still confused about watchers. Is it necessary to kill the watchers? Like, he can't just make someone a slayer if the slayers are all dead. Also, wouldn't there still be, like, nine-year-old potentials out there who haven't been discovered yet? I mean, it seems the first has a way of discovering them. Why didn't Buffy have a watcher before she was the Slayer? I think she did. Angel was watching her. I think she did have a watcher, but the watcher just wasn't interacting with her life because... He was watching. Yeah, I think he was watching and was like, yeah, I know that's Buffy, and if a new Slayer gets called, I'll check in and make sure it's not her. But these other ones, they, like, seem to tell and are training them, like with Kendra. I mean, I think it depends on where you're from. L.A., they just pretty hands off. Well, I mean, it seems like Kendra's whole, like, community was in on what's going on. Sure. And the other ones, I think, maybe are approached at certain times if they feel like there's maybe a bigger potential that they'll potentially be a slayer. This is all headcanon. This doesn't have to be true. But also, it seems very clear that, like, something's going down that involves all the potentials. And maybe the council was aware of this and started collecting them and, like, getting them to their watchers. Well, Giles tells them that the council has been destroyed, except for a few little books and folders, which he has potential number two, Annabelle, pull out of her backpack. More on that later. He says he stole these items before the building exploded because he knew the information needed to be protected and there wasn't time to, like, check them out properly. Maybe that's true. Giles then goes on to lay out the rules of the first. He says it can change form. It only appears someone who's died. It can't touch anything or fight on its own. It has to use people or the bringers to do its bidding. He goes on to say that if all the slayers died, the Hellmouth won't have a guardian and the balance will all be destroyed. But Giles also admits that he has no idea how to fight this thing, so it's up to Buffy. He's like, I don't know. I do horse stuff now. Buffy's got this one. Here's a couple old books. Figure it out. I did my best. I make this girl carry my books. Well, she's got a backpack and he's old. Right, right. He couldn't possibly open a backpack and carry it himself. Exactly. Especially because he's British with a backpack. That's so, Uh they don't do that. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, Giles, that's sort of a lot you're putting on Buffy right now. And potential slayer number three, Kennedy, speaks up like, what the fuck? Why we add the Hellmouth? Isn't this like where this thing is most likely to be? Maybe we should hide? Buffy's like, girl, chill. We just need to find my crazy boyfriend. He'll help us fight and everything will be fine. Spike's a little busy, though being repeatedly drowned by the new nasty little vamp. Back at the summy res, Andrew asks Xander how long he's followed Buffy, like she's Jesus or something. Yeah. I mean, in a sense. Yeah, kind of. He's like, I don't follow her. She's my best friend. And Andrew's like, hmm, she seems like a good leader. Does she make you stab things? (laughs) So Andrew's maybe in the market for a new cult leader. It's kind of his personality. Yeah, and she does make uh, people stab things. Yep. So they've got a house full of beautiful young girls now. 
Oh, no, says Willow. (laughs) She's got a plan for where everyone's going to sleep. But Kendi's all like, how about I just sleep in your bed? And then she bounces upstairs. Willow's like, huh? She's a bit stunned when Dawn comes up asking if Kennedy wants to eat. <laughs> Willow's like, what? Huh? Uh, she's she's new. <laughs> <laughs> this is all very funny. Also, though, I've said this already about the last episode. There's something weird about the film, like the camera. There's like a weird shot that doesn't have the right lighting when it shows Willow's reaction to Kennedy. And it just looks like a totally different camera with different type of film and different light. Like they filmed it a different day. Hmm. It's weird. Well, Dawn doesn't seem to think that what Willow said is too weird because she's very distracted by the fact that she burned the mac and cheese. How, how do you burn mac and cheese, Dawn? I mean, she's a child who has to cook for herself. You'd think she'd learn by now. Yeah. But yeah, how do you burn mac and cheese, Dawn? So they're all trying to figure out what to eat, how healthy it should be. Annabelle's being a real Christopher to the other one who just wants to eat a sugary cereal. <laughs> connection none of this really matters i don't think but anya this whole time is just like muttering to herself because she's the one like cleaning up the mac and cheese yeah you tried replaying it a couple times you can't hear her it's hard to make out but it ends with her saying and i'll just rub away with a stinky old sponge (laughs) (laughs) buffy and giles decide to go christmas tree shopping not really but in a mess just like christopher and luke in a way yeah there's a fight amongst the christmas trees in amends, Buffy found the entrance to like where the first bringers were because she knew that the Christmas trees were like dying. So she figured there was maybe something happening below, just like mm-hmm. a stranger thing. So she returns to that place. Her and Giles have kind of a sweet moment where he promises he'll visit for real sometime if they survive this. Hmm. They're looking for the entrance to the cave where Buffy found it last time. Eventually the ground caves in. She falls down into a hole. Giles kind of hangs out up top for now. Buffy goes walking around in the cave. We see a figure like darting back and forth, which she eventually bumps into. It's the new old vampire, and he's a tough little guy. Yeah. She can't fight him so good. (laughs) That's how I would uh, describe it. She stakes him, but he's like, nah, I don't dust, bitch. (laughs) That's a woman's job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's also sexist. That's like, ooh, man. He never says one word ever, actually. But he smacks her around a bunch. He's trying to choke her. He like lifts her up by the throat where she's luckily high enough to reach a real loose stalactite. She just like whips out of the cave. It was left over from a Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) (laughs) She hits him with it, knocking him out long enough for her to mostly climb out of the cave. He tries to grab her ankle, but she makes it out. No thanks to Giles, who seems to not be waiting at the top of the hole like you'd think. That's weird. He needed to go exploring. He shows up just in time to see that Buffy made it out and the vamp goes down back into the hole because the sun is coming up. Back at the summy res, the potentials are still eating in the kitchen. Giles and Buffy want to break down what just happened, but Giles suggests that they do it privately. Guess they didn't have time to talk about it on the long walk home together. Yeah, what? Why didn't they do it then? <laughs> plenty of privacy before. He was just explaining why he wasn't at the top of the hole. <laughs> But Buffy says that the Slayers might as well hear this. Welcome to the war room, guys. So Giles goes on to explain that this vampire is called Tarak Han. He's basically the Neanderthal of vampires. Just like a single-minded, primordial killing machine. He says they're the vampires that vampires fear. 
So to clarify, it's sort of like, he says it's like Neanderthals are to us. So it's like, at some point, there's some common ancestor, but they kept evolving. And at some point, they branched. And there's one branch that's regular vampires. And there's another branch that are these Turrican, which probably have similar traits to regular vampires. But they don't dust, bitch. Yeah. I want to say they might be dustable, but like, it's got to be intense. Different kind of wood or something? Yeah, because well, remember, like, Kakistos, like, they stabbed him in the chest with a stake. And he was like, that's not enough for me, baby. Mm. And they put a bigger stake in him. He's like, that's, that'll do it. Bye. <laughs> Adios, ladies. You remember Kakistos? <laughs> I feel like he was one of those that had a lot of time to talk after they staked him. So I, I don't know if we do more stake stuff with it, but I think it's maybe possible to stake one, but it would have to be, like, a legit, real, huge stake. Well, basically, they're like an entire different race of vampires that Giles assumed were just a myth, but he suspects that the Turakhan is here as an agent of the first. And they're pretty intense. I think that is going to be clear from this episode. Yes. We should maybe note that everyone keeps trying to tell Buffy to get some sleep in this episode. Giles suggests it here. Xander tried earlier. She's like, nah, I wouldn't be able to, but I'm going to go to work and try to do some research. Giles is like, how do you plan on researching the first exactly? We've established there's no info. Turns out her plan is to just Google evil. And (laughs) when I say Google, I mean knock off Google. Yeah, it's so funny looking at shows that can't use Google, so they make their own little bullshit website. The website she's on is called Search People Places Things. (laughs) And the web address is just nonsense. Yeah, it's like not even how web addresses work. It's just some real thrown together graphic design. The options on the site are new search, advanced search, web pages, <laughs> chat rooms, news forums, user groups, and database. You can just, you know, Google the database. Google the database. Sounds like something Willow would have said in season two. Yeah, this show coined the term Google. You'd think that Google would let them use their interface. Yeah, totally. Anyway, she's searching evil. When Principal Wood creeps up and catches her modifying her search to manifestations of evil, which she quickly modifies to add in the movies. <laughs> in the movies. And he sits down all creepily, wanting to talk to her about how evil movies maybe aren't so good, because once you see true evil, you can't ever unsee what you saw. Ominous, ominous. Anyway, back to work. It's funny to me, it's like, he seems super suspicious, but like, how does she seem to him? <laughs> yeah. Buffy asks him what kind of movies he likes, to which he says, mysteries, because he likes finding out what's underneath it all at the very end. Ominous smile. So, guess we won't know his deal for a while. (laughs) Fake Drew is still messing with Spike, but he tells her that she's not Drew. Drew was crazier than this. Drew, the first, is trying to convince Spike to choose a side in all this. The first side, preferably. But he tells Drew to get bent... And then he gets punched by the Turakhan a whole bunch more times. Fun stuff. Buffy's checking out her wounds in the school bathroom when Joyce shows up again and asks her what happened. Only now they're in the summy bath. She too tells Buffy that she needs to rest and heal and not let her friends put so much pressure on her to save the world. Evil's always somewhere and she can't stop it. No one can. Just give up. Take a nap, Buffy. (laughs) Everyone's telling her to take a nap. The first as Joyce, all of her friends... Joyce is just kind of going on and on about this stuff for a while when the school bell rings and Buffy wakes up at her desk with a student sitting across from her. Mm. He's like, hi, I heard you fuck students. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, he's actually super pissed that she wasn't listening. He storms out, and Principal Wood is just creepily watching all this from behind some blinds. It's 17 minutes to sundown. Everyone's preparing. They don't really know how. Things are bad. Xander has, like, this whole jokey monologue that he delivers to the potentials about how bleak things are, basically. But hey, the window's boarded up, so <laughs> they'll be fine in this they'll house. Fine. They just gotta trap this Uber vamp in the pantry. Willow's like, hey, how about maybe less jokes with the new kids? And Xander says, hey, the pantry thing could work. Are you saying M. Night Shyamalan lied to us? So Giles is fucking dead, right? That's what's happening. What are you talking about? But real talk, I'd been suspecting this whole episode, and I know Xander's referencing signs, not the sixth sense, but I felt like this was just a huge clue that Giles is Bruce willis hard. What, what are you proposing? Let's recap. He conveniently didn't have to hug Buffy at the door because a parade of girls had to come in. That happens. He has Annabelle pull out the books that he could have easily done himself. Okay, Annabelle had the backpack. Right. How'd she get it? In this scene, he notably isn't grabbing a weapon when, like, a bunch of them are. Okay. He wasn't waiting for Buffy at the top of the hole. He just kind of lurks behind people all the time like the Spike apparition was doing. Buffy doesn't know he almost got axed in the neck, but now we do, so it's a little weird that they're not telling us how he managed to escape that. And now this Shyamalan clue, Giles is Bruce Willis, and they're all Haley Joel Osment. They see dead people, mostly Giles. Okay. I wasn't positive at first. I suspected this because you're always like, oh, Giles, I don't know, clues, clues, clues. That does sound like me. But then he was like sitting and leaning on stuff. I'm like, is that possible? Is it? Well, I'm not going to confirm anything. But yeah, I mean, it's a projection. It's not real. So yeah, it's not like that gravity is actually affecting. So the ghost would just be doing like a squat. Yeah, again, they're not using muscles. They got good quads. Yeah, so it's not like it's like, oh, this is an uncomfortable position. It's like I could project a hologram pretending to lean against something. So his glasses are a hologram. Yes. Wait, Giles is dead? In this scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I hope Buffy gets to say goodbye to Giles somehow. But I don't mind that he's dead. Okay, this is a theory you have. That doesn't yeah, mean it's real. it's a good one. I'm, I am not confirming that that is what is happening in the show. Okay. A debate ensues over whether or not the potentials should be able to have weapons. Why? Dawn gets one. I assume these girls are better fighters than Dawn. Why not give them weapons? For sure. Yeah, I, it just seems weird. Like, I guess you, they could, you know, do more damage than not. But I feel like with, like, axes and stuff... It's hard to, like, misfire an axe. Right. Like a, a gun so Giles is, Giles like... must have been hit in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I'm not saying that's what's happening. Okay, I want to make it clear. Uh-huh. Uh, but, like, guns are like, yeah, you could easily accidentally, if you're a novice, shoot somebody. You weren't paying attention. You don't know what you're doing. But, like, axes and swords, it's, like, a little harder to, like, accidentally stab somebody. Right. And So why not give them some kind of weapon? Yeah, I agree. Ultimately, they decide to let them. Yeah. Andrew makes a plea for them to untie him. He, like always, makes a bunch of comic book references, maybe to appeal to Xander. But again, Xander pretends like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or I don't know that he is appealing to Xander. I feel like that's the implication. But I also feel like that's just like his frame of reference. And all of his friends have always been able to understand what he's talking about. I agree. But Xander like kind of pretends like that's not cool. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He tries to say that he's good now. And that he's in his redemption era. But they all kind of just walk away and leave him tied up. Giles and Buffy talk privately. He reminds her that these girls are all depending on her, which kind of stresses her out. 
But then we hear that Annabelle, the seemingly least spunky and most nervous of all the potentials, has run away. The Turok Han immediately finds her and snaps her. Not sure why she thought she'd be safer out there on her own. It was pretty dumb. I think it's worth mentioning that she has sort of been a voice of reason throughout the episode. We're led to believe that Molly is going to be the one to abandon ship because she seems the least confident in all of this. And Annabelle seems the one that's reassuring constantly, like, this is the best course of action. We got to do what Giles says. So it's a bit of a twist that Annabelle's the one that eventually loses faith and runs. And it's a bit of a twist that kills her in the neck. (laughs) You're funny. Thank you. I like that you're funny. I like that you're funny. Buffy finds her snapped little body. Turokhan is there ready to do the same thing to Buffy. And he hits her real good. He's ready to choke her again. But she spits blood in his face, runs away. He's like, thank you. I actually really love blood a lot. It's delicious. She runs into some like factory or construction site. There's like a bunch of machinery around. He catches her. They fight again. He punches her real hard in the tummy. Eventually, she manages to stop him by releasing this whole group of, like, big pipes that's tied up in the air. They all fall down on top of him. But I'm like, pipes is not on the list of ways to kill vampires. Yeah, but those pipes would, like, break the bones of any other vampire. Yeah, that's my question. Like, unless it flattens him enough that his head pops off, he's not going to die. But how would that work? Like, if a vampire got flat Stanley'd, but their head was still attached, would they eventually just, like, reinflate? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think they would heal over time. Would they just walk around like a flat Stanley vampire? That is a, we should ask Joss. <laughs> I would guess that it would maybe kill them because like that's got to like separate your vertebrae and your neck. So like maybe the flesh would still be connected, but. Yeah, if your head is still on your body, but is like severed from your spine, will they live? Yeah, I don't know. They would be paralyzed at the very least. Well, in his case, he kind of just digs his way out and doesn't seem hurt at all. Yeah, he's all like, that was no big deal. I love pipes. They fight some more. He throws her through a wall. She gets all rubble buried, but her friends come and dig her out. I guess the vampire kind of gave up without looking through the rubble to make sure that she was dead. Yeah, I don't really understand what happened that he just leaves. I mean, Buffy forgot to check to see if Spike was dead when he got crushed by that organ. (laughs) So this vampire's like, she's dead. People just assume crushed by rubble is a way to die. Speaking of Spike, Fake Drew is telling him that the only reason he's alive is because she's not done with him yet. Fake Drew being the first. Spike's like, yeah, I'm done being your puppet. And says that Buffy's hope in him is what's keeping him going. That he knows he can be good eventually. But as Buffy told him, she believes in him. Aww. That's sweet. Back at the Samiras, Buffy is sitting alone in a room, listening to everyone talk about her. She was their only hope. And now they're not sure what they're going to do. Andrew's like, but there is another. What? That was a very funny joke. Is that from something? I don't Star know. Wars. Force ghost Ben says Luke is their only hope, and then Yoda mutters, there is another. But Andrew don't really say that. No. They mention that Buffy might have internal bleeding, and Giles doesn't think she'll die, but he can't be sure. Get that girl to the hospital. What are we doing? We can't just be like, maybe she might die. We don't know. Just leave her in the other room. I don't know. Sunnydale hospitals are really unsafe. You got insane people. You got dudes turning into female gods when they're trying to do surgery on you. It's complicated. So they don't really have a plan now. Giles seems to be giving up on fighting it because he's evil. But then bruised up Buffy comes in. Speech time. She gives this beautiful speech. The gist being, yeah, this is definitely the worst thing we faced, but we're not going to sit around and wait for the end like we always do. They want an apocalypse. We're going to give them one now. If anybody else wants to run, do it now. Otherwise, we are an army who just declared war. We're going to start seeking them out. 
cutting their hearts out one by one until the first shows itself for what it really is. And then I'm going to kill it myself. And there's only one thing more powerful on this earth than evil. And that's us. Any questions? It's all really nice. But like, what is your plan exactly? Like, you, you still don't know anything. And you can't beat the one thing you do know about. I don't know. I'm on Team Buffy here because well, like, I am she's, too. I meant like her confidence. It seems like out of nowhere, but like she's literally fought gods before. Yeah. She's like, yeah, things look bleak, but like it's been bleak before. She might as well just start singing. I got a theory right now. Like her bridge for that. Yeah. Well, in this, I got a theory. She breaks in and she's all like, what can't we face if we're together? Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is like, what could this be? What could this be? And she's like, who cares? We'll beat it. Yeah. So, Brian, was this a good episode? Yeah, it was a good episode. We got a lot of cool things. We got the introduction of the potentials. Finally, I've been like wanting to talk about this forever. It's the reason we couldn't play the board game, because the potentials are like on the board. Mm. So that's cool. And I actually really love this whole potential storyline. Giles is back, which is awesome. It's so good to have Giles back. Right. As ineffectual as he might seem in this episode, he's awesome to have him back. So happy. He's pretty like, I don't know if we can solve this one. Yeah, he seems fairly bleak. I rallied some girls to come closer to the Hellmouth where the bad things are. One way to look at that is your theory that he's the first and he's actually just trying to throw doubt into to Buffy and trying to get her to doubt her situation and give up. But again, that's just your theory. The other way to look at this is that Giles, the real human man, just had his whole like career and life and support system just destroyed. And he's just like at sea right now against the strongest enemy they've ever faced and he has no idea what to do and there's just so many ways it could go wrong so he's maybe not as confident as he usually is yeah i actually there's a friend of mine who's watching the show for the first time along with us who i don't think quite analyzes it as deeply as we do but after he watched this episode he was like yeah it's cool giles back he seems scared this thing's really tough <laughs> i was like i guess that's a way to read it yeah that Giles is, just doesn't know what to do. I think that's the way to read it. That's the way they want you to read it. Your theory has no proof behind it. so It doesn't. But there's a ton of clues. We already talked about some of the connections. Really long fights in Christmas tree lots. <laughs> yep. Um, there's powerful female speeches at the end with Emily yes. and Buffy. Yeah. The idea that you can't win this. Like Giles sort of having a bleak outlook and Luke's lawyer. The idea of compromise and sleeping with somebody who you weren't going to. Now Willow's going to share that bed with Kennedy. Right, sure. And cereal, obviously cereal. And cereal cereal, and Christmas. Cereal. Yeah. And a woman storming off. Yeah. So which episode do we think is better? I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, tough. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm thinking because I think you're still processing. I am. I feel... Like, I want to give this to Gilmore because this was a good Gilmore episode. I liked it. Right. It had some good stuff in it. But this Buffy was also good. So I'm sort of like, I don't want to just give it to Gilmore to give it to Gilmore. But That's how I feel. But I'm like, was this like a standout Buffy? It was kind of a, not filler. We learned a lot. We learned about the, the potentials. But like. It was also funny. The stuff yeah. with Andrew was funny. It was kind of just like a lot of fighting with that vampire. Which I liked. Yeah. There's like Spike getting beat up by that vampire. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm gonna go with Buffy. I can't decide. Gilmore was good. That fight scene was really fun. I liked it a lot. But I 
I'm not a big fan of this whole Marty storyline. And it wasn't like a hilarious episode of Gilmore Girls. So I'm going to go with Buffy. I think I'm going to go Gilmore. Okay. It's tough. I, I think I just enjoyed more parts of Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Buffy was obviously good, but I, I think there wasn't like quite as much tension. The Andrew stuff wasn't that funny for me in this episode. There was some funny stuff. The Anya line where she's like, you drew it all over yourself. That made me laugh out loud. That was really funny. And Buffy's speech was really good. But for me, I'm not here to like watch the fight scenes as much as some people are. And a lot of it was just like watching this vampire in action. I like that. And that's just different of opinions. I like fight scenes. Mm -hmm. I mean, both episodes for once had them. (laughs) But Buffy's was better. It introduced a lot with like the potential stuff, but we didn't really like see much of that in action yet. It was a lot of like eating breakfast and a lot of watching this new vampire just like beat the shit out of Buffy and Spike. Yeah, and Gilmore Girls had a lot of eating as well, to be quite honest. Yeah, but I like Indian food more than cereal, so. Okay. <laughs> this is a close one for me, but I, I think I maybe just like enjoyed watching the scenes of Gilmore Girls individually more than some of the Buffy scenes. I love Drew, though. Nice yeah. to see her always. But he's right. She's not Drew. Okay, there you have it, guys. It's been a very Buffy-heavy season, but you gave this one to Gilmore? I think we've each given Gilmore Girls two at this point. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. I love Gilmore Girls, guys. It's not that Gilmore Girls is a bad show at all. I love that show. Uh, If you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 11, Showtime. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 11, Sandra's Secret Stuff. That sounds dirty. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Lorelai should do vows at her wedding party? Who's wrong in this situation? Do you think that Lorelai maybe doesn't want to have kids with Christopher? Do you think Christopher was justified for being upset with her about that? Which potential do you think has the most potential? What's Giles' deal, guys? I mean, don't actually tell me, but like, what's the deal? Do you think Logan was wrong to blurt out that Marty and Rory were lying the way he did? Or just right? Do you think women are from Venus and men are a bowl of soup? <laughs> Let us know. We didn't mention that in the this but it's from the episode figure it out let us know you can reach out to us by following us on instagram facebook twitter and tiktok at gilmore slayer where we post interactive questions comedy sketches and more or send us an email brian at stacy reviews at gmail.com that's brian with a y and stacy with an ey for more bonus content find us on patreon that's patreon.com slash brian and stacy where we post weekly video recaps of the show angel host monthly live stream watch parties post monthly podcast outtakes and share early extended episode previews and shout out to our new patreon subscriber alex ball thank you for more non-podcast content, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bio. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. It also really helps our algorithm in getting found. Do you think Brian is still living with that Korean family? I hope we cut back to him at some point. And he's no, going to find out they're all dead. He's alone. The- End of Brian. He just like stays with that family and quits the band. He finds out Digger's working there too. It's like, is this just where characters who have been written off go? He's working there? I said living, didn't I? No. <laughs> yeah, he's working there. He's lost his job because he because of Richard. So now he he's works just for, this Korean, for this Korean family. Yeah. It's like them that. and Lane's ex-boyfriend, Dave. Full house. Well, see you next time. See ya. See ya.